Now, while you're in a jubilant attitude, I want you just to take your right hand and just reach up into heaven and just say, in Jesus' name, I'm pulling down a miracle that I need for my destiny. Just pull it down in Jesus. Say, in Jesus' name. Okay, there may be somebody that you know that doesn't have a gift of faith that you have. So I want you, put, I want you to think of them, put your hand back up in heaven. I want you to pull a miracle down for them. Like those four men that dropped the man through the roof. They had more faith than he did. And so I want you to just, just whisper their name. I have a name. Just say, I pull down a miracle for them in Jesus' name. Do you realize that you need to believe for your own miracles, but you need to also believe for somebody else's miracle? If you only believe for your own miracles, you're like a dead-end road. You've become that pool instead of a river. And uh, so when we were here, uh, flying here, we flew to Pittsburgh, and then we drove here, and uh, uh, I thought I had booked the flight. I, I booked it going from P Pittsburgh, which we were there last weekend, going home, to fly back, pick up my car, and come out to save me that much driving. You know, that as I get older, I, I think planes look better than a car, especially, you know, when you're busy. But I must have put it right to the end. I didn't hit the last button. So we had to go to Baltimore, get Southwest. And I don't know if you know this, but they're shoulder to shoulder. We were all the way in the back, and uh, it was packed. No, I mean, you know, six feet apart with masks. Then they give you a drink, and you're setting a foot and a half apart drinking. I, it makes perfect sense to me. I, I just know that Dr. Fauci can explain this. I, he's a doctor, right? You have to work hard to come up with reasons for things like that. You have to really think hard. Anyway, uh, I like what uh, Selwyn Stevens said. He said he's believing that in the next several months, common sense will return to our the nations, that we'll actually get a brain back. And uh, without making any further other comments, but uh, what Pastor Yuri, some of the things you were saying were just going off in my spirit, that we have to understand that we're coming into the conflict of kingdoms. One of the things you have to, that you have to understand, the world's kingdom is predicated, built upon the spirit of fear. I, I feel like I have a little bit of echo. Am I echoing or it, take off the reverb that the singers need? My voice is perfectly fine because I'm not singing. If, so if you take that reverb off or, or maybe it's, I don't know if it's me, but anyway, you can, uh, that's why you need to have sound people who have control issues. You put your hands on the control and you make it work. And uh, I said that to one of my one time, and they turned me all the way off, and they laughed at me from the soundboard. So I could appreciate uh, them. Please don't do that to me. Okay, so this is the the thing: is we're coming into a conflict of kingdoms, and you have to understand that because you have Christ, you have lost the fear of death. I don't know if you realize this: that people that don't have Jesus, the thought of death is the worst fear. They could possibly, and see, when you have fear, you can manipulate people. If you, if you know what people fear, you could actually manipulate them 
by the fear because people will do illogical things out of fear that actually end up causing damage. Do you know that uh, like when they train people, like if, uh, if there's a, uh, uh, an accident or something, they actually have to train people not to do what's fear-based, but to do what's knowledge-based. They have to practice it over and over because a fireman does not naturally run into a fire. He has to train to run in a fire. He has to learn how to do it. And he has a purpose. He's not running into the fire to prove he could do it. He's only running in to take somebody out. Does that make sense? He's not trying to prove he can run in a fire. He's only doing it under advice, wisdom, and practice. And what they say like in airplanes, if there's an airplane crash, they have to, they have to train people, uh, the stewardesses, the pilots, they have to train them so they don't stand in a corner and scream. So when this happens, this is what we do. We have a drill. A drill drilled into you so you'll do under stress what you would not do if you had not been trained. Do you realize that Jesus has trained us with an anointing that actually we respond so different than the world? <clears throat> I, I, there was a, uh, I noticed we were standing getting Starbucks and there was a woman with a shield. I think she might have had two masks. I'm not sure. But she had six foot in front, six foot in back. And everybody knew that you, for her, because she stood so far back in line, the guy behind her honored her fear level. Everybody else was within two feet, three feet. But she was standing back and looking around. How many of you know, and people pick up on that. Do you know that when you walk in the anointing of love and of faith, you are so different. People look at you and say, what is different about you? So here I am crammed in the back of Southwest and my wife being the kind woman she is. And there's a man there. You know, man, you don't want to sit beside another man. You want your wife to sit in between you. And my wife being the quiet wallflower, she said, you sit there. <laughs> and uh, I, I had preached on wives submitting, but we haven't finished it. So I had to sit in the middle. We're going to finish that sermon. We're going to work on that now. But until then, we're still working and submitting to one another. I could say some things, but we're going to stay in the anointing tonight. How I many of you know, if you don't have fun, you get really boring. And uh, so anyway, so as I sat beside the guy and... Uh, there was somebody who was saying, when we came up to the chair, there was two there, we wanted to sit together. We said, can we sit here? And uh, they said, no, I'm sorry, I'm saving it for somebody. You know, on Southwest, you can't save. I don't know if they read the rules, but if you're there, you cannot save. And, and you know, I mean, how many of you know you can get a little bit of attitude when somebody breaks the rules? And so I'm in the back, and another couple came and said, oh, no, you, I'm, you can't sit here. And so I said to the stewardess, I said, that woman up there is telling people she, you know, I don't know what's going on, but so she started going forward, and then the, the person at the end came and sat, and, uh, and, and the guy beside me said, well, he used a curse word. He said, well, that's, that's F, and anyway. So after he said that, I introduced myself as a pastor. <laughs> and uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't do it right away. I, I waited about three to five minutes, and uh, 
Then I introduced myself as a pastor. Then I started talking about my book on David, and I started talking about his destiny. And he was, he was literally, uh, in his family, everybody was in law enforcement. He wanted to go into the federal side of it. He was shifting out of what he did into the federal. And I said to him, I said, now, I started giving him some identity teaching. And so, like, like tonight, how many know you need to know you're a child of God? Yeah. But you know, being a child of God is like being a major league baseball player. You're on the team. You're on the field. What's the next question? If, you, if I told you I was a major league baseball player, what would be your next question? What team do you play for? And what's your position? Do you realize that you have nine people on the field? They're all major league baseball players. They're all child of God, but they do not get to switch positions. They are under contract, bought by blood, to play a position, and they don't tell the coach where they want to be. And so, you know, some of you that have been praying and praying and praying to be on the worship team, and you've been praying for God to give you a voice. I know I've heard one, I've heard one or two stories where people that couldn't sing got a miracle. But some of you, God is not going to give you a miracle singing because he needs you as an intercessor to run the devil off of people. He don't need you on the stage singing. And the reason he didn't give you a good voice was to help you find your future. Some of you, you might say, well, I'm just a door greeter. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. But let's take it up another notch. If you're the door, you're the door greeter, be the best door greeter in Ohio. Pray. Smile. Do you know people come into my church and they say my church is friendly? Because the guy standing at the door smiles, they think everybody's that happy. <laughs> but this is the deal. You start praying and you say, when I shake their hand... Healing goes into their body. And they get up and say, I got, I got healed today at church. Was it during worship? It's no, when I came through the door, that guy greeted me and something went all through my body. Yeah. Say, well, I'm not even on the healing team. It doesn't matter. Be the best greeter, door greeter. Somebody else comes through and say, you know, I was thinking about suicide, but when he touched my hand, I felt a demon leave me. Don't you be an ordinary door greeter. You be Jehovah Sneaky. Powerful. The Bible says these signs and wonders follow those who believe. It does not say it follows pastors. Now we hope the pastors believe. But it only follows those who believe. Everybody say, I believe. I believe. If you believe, anything's possible for you. But this is the deal. Find out what God made you to do. Do you know some people can give a cup of water and they give it like out of heaven? Now, like in New York, here, take the cup of water. You know, <laughs> that isn't blessing anybody, but they gave the cup of water. Some people can give you something, and they make you feel so loved, so nurtured, so cared. They do it in a way from their heart that actually can be life-changing to a person. He said, if you give a cup of water in my name, you'll not lose your reward. Don't you ever let position marginalize the anointing that's on your life. How many of you, I think about this. I'm just going to talk a little bit. But I want to give you a challenge. And I was thinking about this a week ago. 
and it's getting more clear to me. But until the body of Christ is comfortable carrying the greatness of Father God will never really bring him true glory. What am I saying? If you don't carry his greatness, you'll never do anything great that will really give him great glory. I'll just end up doing Dale's stuff instead of God's stuff. I can actually preach and learn while I'm preaching. How many of you ever given counsel to people that was so good it was helping you? But you acted like you knew it all along. Like, But you're saying, oh, Jesus, keep on. And how many of you ever prayed so good you want to tape it so you can pray it again? Because, man, you never pray. That's not you praying. That's him praying through you. That's the great counselor counseling through you. So it's not how much can God get to you. It's how much can he get through you. And how much will you give him honor? And how much glory will you give back to him? Staying humble is not putting yourself down. It's more like lifting him up so high there's no confusion. Anything that I do that's astounding, that's him. Anything that's average or above, that's me without him. I've lived with, with me and I've lived with me and him. I'm telling you, me and him is what makes it happen. Me by myself discourages even me. Come on, be honest. We're not the brightest light on the, on the street without Jesus. I can't believe some of the stupid stuff I've done without him. And you know, I'm going to tell you why I got a doctorate so you understand this. I never got a doctorate. I was going to a theological school in California when I was much younger. I never wanted a doctorate. The only reason I got it was for purpose, not for position. Because they're starting to use my David book in universities where you get your doctorate program. It's being used in Korea in their theological seminaries. So if I'm helping people get their doctorate with my book, I ought to be a doctor. So that after I'm gone, if Jesus doesn't return in my generation, that my book will have access to Bible schools, universities, and also that if God opens up other doors where it's not so good to be a pastor, I can just go in as a doctor. But it's all for purpose. Do you understand? And so what you have to look at is what's your purpose and what will help you accomplish it. So one of the things that I want to say is I just heard a sound when I said this. I heard a sound, I don't, know, I don't know where this is going prophetically, but I heard a sound, have you ever heard like where it starts to rain real gentle, but it's heavy? And it's a sound, as soon as I said that about purpose, I heard the rain of heaven start. And this is what I hear the Lord saying to me, to you. The rain of heaven is coming on those who will walk in the purposes of heaven. And the Father is saying, I'm shaping your identity for assignments that have been given from the Father's heart to change and touch the heart of this world. And God said, I'm going to grow things inside of you that you don't even know I've placed inside of you. I've placed a genius inside of you, the Lord says, to represent me. Now, I want everyone to just put your hand over your heart. Just say this real. Just say, Father God created me out of his genius. Now, I want to just say this. How many of you believe you've been created in his image and likeness? How many of you believe that Father God does not know how to lose? He's never know, he don't even know how to lose. 
All he does is win. Even at the Red Sea, at the cross, every time the devil thinks he's really getting him, it's really a setup to show his power. Are you with me? He's like the stealth puncher. Here, hit me. Now watch me knock you out. Trap me. Now watch me make a way where there is no way. He loves to let the devil and the world think, we've got him now. I said, come on, come on. This is, everybody watch. This is really going to be good. How many of you know that he is Jehovah Sneaky? For the enemy. He tricks the enemy. It says in the Bible that if Satan would have known what was going to happen, he would have never crucified the Lord of glory. He, would, he thought what he was going to do would trap Jesus and it actually released him to manifest through you and me. Now remember, Jesus did not leave heaven so he could win over the devil. He came so we could. Okay, if God, his image and likeness is a winner, then that means you were created a winner. The problem is sin messed you up. You were never created a loser. You were created a winner, but sin made you look like a loser. So what a lot of Christians said, I was a loser that got saved. No, you were a winner that got messed up with sin and being born again gave you back your winning status. I want you to say this. He created me to win. Just say, now do you really believe that? He created me to win. Say it again. Sin messed me up. Made me a loser, but I was born again so I could win, win. If you believe your damaged goods that got saved, that's your beginning. You don't see the full picture. You were a winner that was damaged, but you were created to win. When God thinks about you, he thinks about winning. The problem is the devil will take you back to an event and said, look where you failed. You are a failure. He tries to move a, a, an event into your identity. And if you think you are a failure, you cannot win. And if you do win, if you're a failure, you will lose it. Now, I want to ask you a tricky question. How many of you would be a, like to be a winner that loses three times and wins twice? Or you'd like to be a loser who wins four times and loses once? Answer, there's no million dollars, but I could. Now I'm going to tell you what most people would say. I'd rather lose once because it makes me look better. The problem is, four times you win. If you're a loser, you will lose every time what you win. Because that's what you do. You lose it. Do you realize that 80% of all millionaires today went bankrupt average three times? Do you know what it means? They never let the event give them an identity. They always believed they were going to make it. And that's in the world. Do you know in the world people have a better understanding because we say we're just sinners saved by grace. No, you are a winner that became a sinner that got saved to be a winner again. See, we need to see ourselves as a winner who got, how did I say that? Messed up. A winner who became a sinner who got born again to be a winner, that was your original blueprint. Now see, whatever was the original, when you get restored to it, then you start expecting it. So one time I, I was asking, the Lord asked me, he said, Dale, how do you see yourself? I said, I see myself, 
above average. He said, I got two problems with that. Number one, I did not die for you to be above average. I died for you to win. Second of all, above average means you're comparing yourself to somebody else. How can you compare your race to somebody else? That's like a sprinter comparing himself to a long distance man. Your race is not my race. For what looks like victory for you could be defeat for me. Billy Graham could have had the largest church in America and never reached the world with the gospel. And he could have went to heaven and say, well, I had the biggest church in America. And the Lord would look at him and say, I called you to evangelize the world, not to have the biggest church. Success does not always have destiny, but destiny always has success. Don't you be impressed with success. The Lord isn't. He wants to know, are you doing what you were called to do? So in this, when Jesus said it was finished, he was not just talking about on the cross. He was talking about his entire life. Like David, he was a man after God's own heart who fulfilled his purpose. Everybody say purpose in his generation. Now, how many here are over 70? Raise your hand. Okay, over 60. We over 60, that's me too. Baby, you're on the 55 plus menu, okay? You know, some people will not order from the 55 because they have, you know, anyway, I'll minister to you later, honey. That's okay, we will do. But let me just say this. Do you know at 55, you're just starting to really get good? And if you're 70, you're probably about to have the most impact you've ever had in your life. Jesus only had three good years. How many of you could believe for three good years in the next 10? I didn't say you're going to die in three years. I said, have three good years in the next 10 years. Are you with me? See, you're laughing because you're not yet 60. <laughs> yeah, so, so you're close, yeah. But you understand what I'm saying. Now listen. This is the part. This rain that's coming down on us is for our purpose. It's not just for us to feel good. We'll feel his pleasure, but this is, I really believe this, obedience brings more anointing. Some people just want to have more hands laid on them. I'm going to tell you, you get hands laid on you, but then go out and do it. When you do what God told you to do, greater anointing comes on you. I do not wait to prophesy when I am in church. I prophesy because I am the church. And, and really, you know, some people will not flow in the gifts of the Spirit until Sunday, 1030, at the quiet moment. But when they leave, when they leave here, they don't ever move in the gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to tell you, the gifts of the Spirit are for outside the church as well as inside, actually more outside, because he said, you, don't, you go to the upper room, you don't leave it until, you don't go out and be my witnesses until the power comes on you. So I could go into that a little bit more, but I'm going to go into a couple of other things. So this is a question I want to ask you. Do you see Father God as a winner? Okay, do you see now, from what I've said to you, if you're created in his image and likeness, you were created a winner. Okay, my question is, where are you about to happen with winning and success? You need to have a certain area that you plan on winning. 
Now you say, Dale, you teach on identity. Yeah, that's because my grandfather was adopted into an Amish home and he had no identity. He didn't fit in. He didn't belong. I mean, you know, so my father was raised by an orphan who sat in his barn with a gun across his legs thinking about committing suicide. That's why I teach on identity because my grandfather who loved me didn't know how to raise his own son because he never felt accepted. How do you give something to somebody who doesn't have it? If it says freely you've received, freely give. Now, if I've received an orphan spirit, and listen, when we found the family that gave him up for adoption two weeks before we got there, we found out that her mother gave away her first son, and the family said, uh, could we just please sit down? Because in the last two weeks, we found out grandma and great-grandma gave away their first two sons, and we never even knew it. How many of you know there's, 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 there's repetitive curses, and, but we went back and we started breaking those curses of orphans. And see, in it, everybody in your family, you have something to overcome because the devil's the equal opportunity employer. He messes with everybody's family tree. So what we do is we have to start breaking those things, but so whatever has tried to break you, is what you will break off of other people. Tell me where the devil's hit you the most, and I'll tell you where you're going to crush him the most. People that have been under addictive patterns, I see them all the time getting people off of drugs. I never really had an addictive life. I think I drank six times in my life, Boone's Farm, that I, I, I shoplifted in Virginia, and I hated it. I, I, my drinking career was so short, nobody would be impressed. And if I told somebody who had addictive lifestyle, they'd laugh at me. But I, I've struggled with my identity. So guess what I'm helping you do? Because as I got healed by the Lord, then the Lord said, I want you to start making this a message. Now, I didn't even know that that was, that was what God was setting me up for. But people would say to me, said, Dale, you know that identity thing? You're really good at it. Another guy said, Dale, you're that identity guy. I said, What's, what do you mean? Everybody, he said, but there's something different about the way you teach it. So when people start telling you what's good about you, listen to it. And when you start hearing it over and over again, get better at it because probably that's your expertise. Now, as I'm talking to you, I'm going to just talk about this last book that I wrote, Shattering the Limitations of Pain. It's the latest book. I just, I didn't have it the last time I'm here. And uh, we have all five books that we have a special deal for. And we do have a Jehovah Visa machine back there. That means you have faith to pay tomorrow what you buy tonight. So, and a lot of people don't carry money, but we also take cash checks and, uh, and this book, what I talk about within this book is this. Most people in the world, they want to change what's around them, but God wants to change what's inside of you. Because if what inside of you changes, everything around you will change by force of the change inside.
It's an inside out kind of force. So when I have victory on the inside, defeat has to leave. But if there's defeat around me and victory comes and I feel defeated, I will actually push victory away and embrace defeat because that's who I am. There was a man in my church. I had seen him 30 years ago. And he had been through a, a very rough childhood. But he's been around church, church, church. He came back to my church. He still had the same story, the same problem. And this is the deal. When he come up, he come up the front like, I have a problem, I have a problem. During worship, he's like this. And I said to him, if you don't start worshiping God, you'll never get free what the devil did to you. If you don't get a passion to worship him, there is nobody that can help you because victims can never be helped. And I'm going to say this, getting attention for your problem is not to be confused with love. I had a man, I was counseling him and, uh, for about a year and a half, very devastated. And he looked at me and he said, Pastor, if I get better, will you still love me? I had to stop seeing him for a month because he had become codependent in reverse, and uh, now he's one of the best counselors I have. If you always give everything to everybody they want, you're not a good father. You'll just raise a bunch of spoiled brats. Isn't that true, Pastor Yuri? Help me out. How many of you have ever had to forgive Walmart, Kmart, and every grocery store because they put the candy right down where the kids can grab it? <laughs> right at the checkout counter where you have to stand the longest. You know, and I'm, I'm going through there and I want to give a candy bar to little Johnny. And, uh, but before I buy it, he throws himself down on the floor and goes, Wow, what a candy bar! Now I was going to buy him before he did that. A candy bar. And, uh, and now, you know what? There is no way in purgatory in heaven that he is going to get a candy bar. And there can be a sweet old grandma back. I'll buy him a candy bar. Grandma, you do that, I'll tackle you right in the middle of this floor because you're not going to help my son to learn how to get a candy bar. I will body slam you if you buy him that candy bar. Hey, this stuff is for real. You hear what I'm saying? We cannot reward selfishness. And you know, if you really want to get free, so what I told this man, I said, so when he comes, he receives prayer, but when he worships, it's like this. If he will get his hands up and, get, and start realizing what Jesus did for him is greater than what people did to him. If you don't believe what Jesus did is greater, what he did for you is greater than what people did to you, you'll never be able to unhook, nor can you unhook other people. How many of you believe that Jesus left it all on the cross or on the field? He gave it all. He bore our sin. He bore our shame. Not just our sin. He bore our shame. And you know what? Shame is what keeps people out of their destiny. 
The devil tries to shame you out. Well, who do you think you are? Well, I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm anointed, chosen. I've been appointed by God. My job is to crush the devil under my feet, and so are you. And I want you to say this. I, 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 I don't know if you know this, but the Father loves me the best. What's your attitude? Does the Father love you the best? Just say, the Father loves me the best. Okay, look at your neighbor and say, the Father loves you the best. Do you know in the church, we're the only people that can all come in first place. Nobody gets the last, we all get the best. Do you know what the problem is? We grew up in families that were dysfunctional, and dads had favorites, and so did moms. And so we think God does. Well, God loves T.D. Jakes and Joel Osteen, but he puts up with me, and I get the leftovers. No, he loves me the best. And if he loves me the best, I expect the best, and I receive the best. But if I don't think I'm among the best, I'll put up with, what, I'll put up with the less. I'll dream less, and I may succeed, but I'll never expect more. Just say it one more time. He loves me the best. So I expect the best. I'll give him my best. Now see, it keeps right on going. Right down, the, are you with me? I'll give him my best. I'll live the best. And you know what? Nobody here is perfect. Just so you know I'm a true prophet, there's sin in the camp. And that's why Jesus came to forgive it. He's already over your sin into why he saved you. Would you get over somebody else's sin in your own so you can get into the future of why he saved you? I'm not just a sinner saved by grace. A sinner saved by grace is a person who comes through the door into God's presence who didn't know him. Now, we are kings and priests seated at the right hand of the Father. Everybody say, I'm a king and a priest. See, if you see yourself as a sinner saved by grace, you feel like God's putting up with you. But if you're a king and a priest, now you're on the inside. I, I don't forget that he saved me, but he didn't save me to make that tag on me. Paul said a sinner saved by grace, he, but every time he started the book, he said, I'm an apostle called by God. He didn't say I was a sinner called by grace. He had a couple of rough years. I had a couple of rough years, you know. I was killing the church, but now I'm writing books and I'm helping them. Had a couple bad years, but I was called. How many of you know he preached, left churches, and had to walk over graves of people he helped bury? And he said, uh, I forget those things that are behind me, and I press on to the high calling. In other words, I ain't going to look at who I buried. I'm going to look at who I'm going to raise from the dead, and Timothy's I'm going to raise up. I, as a matter of fact... <laughs> Saul, you, I'm Paul. And somebody says, yeah, that's good for you to say, but you killed my dad. No, that was a whole different guy. Some of you identify more with your brokenness than with the blessing the Father has given you. And God the Father is saying, would you get in agreement with me? God said this to me years ago. He said, Dale, if you'd see yourself the way I do, we could go places, but you don't agree with me. Now, I just want to ask you this. What, what is a way that Father God sees you that you don't see yourself? Let, let me just use these two guys on the front. You just come up here real quick. These are underpaid actors, and you, sir. And uh, 
turn around, face the people. It's okay. We're going to do it like this. And so your name is again? Jonathan. Jonathan and? Steve. Steve. Okay, let's say that Steve owns a business, and Steve says, he says this to Jonathan. Jonathan, you're a natural leader. Jonathan, you're a natural leader. And I want you to, I want you to manage the crew. I want you to manage the crew. I, I know you're young. I know you're young. But I know you can do it. But I know you can do it. So this is what Jonathan's thinking. Why would he ever pick me to say it? Why would he ever pick me? Now, we, this is where we're at. What's the problem here? Who do you think has the better opinion of Jonathan? Who do you think has, no, the more, who do you think has the most truthful opinion? God. Huh? God. No, him. We're leaving God out of it right now. <laughs> but I do appreciate God. Now, I do appreciate God, but, but I'm saying between Steve and Jonathan, who has the truthful opinion? Steve, why? He has a company. He's done this for decades. He sees what's in Jonathan, but Jonathan don't yet perceive it. Because his leadership is natural, it's not been trained, but as he watches how he interacts with all of his friends, he sees him as a natural leader. But until Jonathan sees himself as a leader, he cannot step into it. And the truth is, if Jonathan don't change the way he sees himself, it will change the way Steve sees him. And... He will actually, in the end, agree with Jonathan if Jonathan does not agree with him soon enough. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, this is the deal. Whenever you get promoted or chosen, you say, I don't know why they'd ever choose me. That means the devil's been messing with your identity so long, he's deceived you into thinking you're less than what God made you. And the reason the devil wants to mess with your identity is he can steal your assignments. Identity and assignments go together. Does that, make, does that make sense to you? So when I started writing my first book, and David perceived he was king, and this is within, it's in the process of being in eight languages. It's already in six. And I, when I was halfway through it, I was so discouraged, I thought, I'm not a book writer. I never liked to write, I never liked to read books because they got boring to me. I thought, why would I write a book? And I got so discouraged, and, and right then, I had sent some of it to a pastor, Dave Hess, and he said, Dale, this is incredible, keep working on it. Now, I was a long way from being the book writer I am today. That was 60, I'm now 68. But what happened... I started believing that I was a good book writer. Guess what happens? I wrote three more. Now, see, once I believe that I'm a good book writer, what happens? I start producing books. But the first one was so hard because I believed I was just a pastor writing books. I was not an author who was a pastor writing books. So actually, my identity shift from a pastor who writes from an author who pastors. Does this make sense? Now, let me, you stand up here. If you come up for a minute. Okay. Here we have David. We have David who's watching the sheep. He's a herder of the sheep. Okay. And, uh, but while he's doing the unimportant, he's practicing his harp. 
David was not chosen to play for King Saul because he was anointed. He was a chosen because he could play the harp really well. If you don't get good at something, you'll never get a promotion to the kingly level that God wants you to. Get good. You know, some people, this might sound funny, they're such good listeners, everybody wants to talk to them. They don't just, they don't just shut up. They listen, they, they, they speak back, and they have insight to what the person's saying, and people will call them up because they're good listeners, discerning of spirits, and wisdom. Okay, does that make sense to you? But David was a shepherd. So how many of you know when David starts coming against Goliath? Everybody says, you can't do that. You're a shepherd. You're a boy. Your identity is shepherd. And, and uh, let's, let's move him. You, you, can, you can go back just a minute. You can have a seat for a second. I don't think. So I was going to use all of it. But so as he's looking at Goliath... Switch roles here. Okay, he's looking at Goliath. He's saying, have you sent out a dog with a stick against me? It's like, this guy, even you're insulting me because I have WWF and he can't even say it. He's never seen a match. He's not, he's, he watches the sheep. Look at that stick. He was insulted. What Goliath did not know, he was facing the anointed future king of Israel, who was a shepherd. As David runs toward Goliath, God ran toward Goliath. He was a shepherd running toward Goliath, but after he killed him, and listen, David was a harpist, not a slingist. I believe when he threw it, it was the biggest curve we've ever seen on earth. You throw it, let God land it, David. And it hit him, and he went down. David ran toward him, a shepherd. He walked away, a warrior that led the armies. Why? Because he did not only defeat Goliath, he started everybody else to fight again. He, became, he didn't know that when he beat him, he would be the leader of the army, which in those days you had to be a leader of the army to be king. So Goliath was a stepping stone to his anointing. Some of you have complained about the problems it takes a Goliath to reveal a David and his journey to become a king. So turn around, you get to upgrade from Goliath to King Saul. It gets better. So David... David kills, David kills Goliath. He comes and he brings the head into before the king. And he says to him, because what was the reward? He gets my daughter. He gets the daughter. No taxes. No taxes. Okay, I just need, can I, can I have you come up here and stand? You're going to be the daughter on the other side. Okay, then, I, and I need you, I need you, Yes, you to come up because he, King Saul had two daughters. Hi. Okay, right here. Now, what you don't know, David was playing the harp. How many know if David, he had been around King Saul, he'd say, listen, taxes, money, uh, King Saul, you can just keep your daughters. 
But no, he was actually interested. Now, in Hebrew tradition, you had to marry the older daughter, Merib. And this is Michael. She's a ton of trouble. And, uh, <laughs> but what David did, he comes in and he walks in for his reward. And he said, listen, I'm going to give you my daughter's hand. Not Michael, Merib, in marriage. And uh, David says, well, who am I? Who am I? And who's my family? And who's my family? Now, when he went to fight Goliath, he never brought up who he was or his family. Would you quit letting your family define who you are and let God the Father define who you are? You are the next king of Israel. I don't care if everybody in your family is a shepherd. You could still be a king. He said, who am I? what he did, David, after beating Goliath... He put himself down in front of a king, and King Saul agreed with him. So on his wedding day, he gave his oldest daughter away to another man. Can you imagine on the day? How many know he's shaming him? Because he's now afraid of him. And then he finds out that his son likes Michael. She is a wild child, all kinds of problems. She likes David. I'm sorry, we'll take us all off of you before we leave. Uh, she, she, she likes David, but she doesn't love what David loves, worship. And King Saul says, man, I could barely control this girl. If I give him to David, she will mess him up. She has given me. So he, to get her, him, gives Michael to him. But I'm going to just tell you from God's viewpoint. From, we'll, we'll remove all that, okay? We'll take care of that. Thank you. <clears throat> okay, but what happens from God's viewpoint, when David puts himself down, King Saul agrees, but God has another problem. He said, David, I have anointed you and appointed you, and to marry the king's daughter is a step going to be the next king. How many know you don't have to be a rocket scientist? If you marry the king's daughter, it sets you up to be the next king. Okay? So he said, because you've put King Saul, and listen, he had been a king for decades, probably 16, 20 some years, warrior, head and shoulders taller than David, and David actually felt less than. God said, well, because you've put him above what I've said, I'm going to let him chase you until you agree with me. Do you know that sometimes the reason people chase you is because you put them above God? You have said, well, what they've said is more important than God, or they're more important in what God has put on you. And so literally, God let that chase him. I'm going to say this, if money is too important to you, you'll get it and lose it, get it and lose it, because God will let it chase you till you come to him. He loves you too much to be, he would rather you wreck three times and love him than have money and never have failure. If your church becomes too important to you, he'll let it go to nothing so you actually make him everything. How many of you know good things out of order are just simply idle? If, if you... If you think, if you do everything for your wife and everything she wants all the time, she's an idol, God will not make her treat you right so you'll stand up and grow up and put him first. Your kids, if you live for your kids 
and not for God. God will have your kids turn on you to make you start to pray. How many of you think you pray for your kids when they're five? Wait till they turn 25. Then you'll learn how to pray in tongues. Harabashi. Are you with me? Some of you that you haven't hit that stage, you, when you're older, you will understand. Okay, so what we see here is your identity determines your future. Now, I want you to close your eyes right now. What have you told God you cannot do that he's asked you to do? What has God spoke to you? You say, well, Lord, get somebody else. I know a pretty great guy that said that. Name was Moses. Saw the burning bush, staffed a snake, and after all that, he said, God, could you just get somebody else? I know you can do it. I have faith in you, God, but I don't have enough faith that it can be me. Do you know why God liked Moses? He did it when he didn't feel like doing it, and God said, now that guy's a friend. Lord, I just pray that on the church right now, you'd bring a spirit that we would even start doing things that we say we feel like we can't. Lord, if you ask me to do it, I'll do it. And I'll walk in it. And just, I want you to say this, Lord, I repent where I've said no because I felt I wasn't good enough, anointed enough, smart enough, fill in the blank, whatever it is. Who you equip, I'm saying, who you call, just say, it, you equip. Now, you know what's interesting? I would equip them and then call them, but God said, who I call, I equip. And the equipment comes when you say yes. You don't get an M16 until you join the army. You have to actually join to get the equipment. And some of us were saying, we're looking at our equipment and say, well, you haven't signed up for the anointing yet. When you start signing up and saying yes, and things start happening, and he starts equipping you as you answer the call. Some of you are waiting for the equipment, but as you start walking as an overcomer, and say, don't think, oh, I'm, I have to be up there. Listen, your ministry will be made in the streets. Your ministry is made with people you meet.